Let's open the Scriptures together to the Gospel of John. John chapter 6, page 1135, 1135 in the Pew Bible. Continuing our series on this gospel, and we've been in chapter 6 for several sermons. It's a long chapter. And this morning, we come to the section where the Lord Jesus speaks about eating and drinking His flesh and blood, and that, we'll see, has a connection to the Lord's Supper as well. So we're just going to read what will be our text, verses 48 through 59. I am the bread of life. This is Christ speaking. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. The text for the sermon is, as we read it, John 6, verses 48 through 59. Church of our Lord Jesus Christ, the passage before us this morning brings this uh, brewing controversy that we've been seeing, the controversy between Jesus and the crowd. It, it kind of brings it to its head, its climax. Throughout this very long discussion, we've been seeing the two parties, Christ and the crowds, kind of going back and forth with questions and then challenges and answers and more challenges. And the longer it goes on, the harder it gets for the crowd to accept the things Jesus says. They've already grumbled in offense at his statement that he is the bread who came down from heaven, because, as they said, we know his parents, Mary and Joseph. How can this man say that he came down from heaven? And now in our text, they grumble about his statement that anyone can have eternal life if only that person eats of his flesh. They've got a problem with that. They ask, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? 
I wonder, brothers and sisters, if that question crossed your mind as well. Because Jesus' words here are not easy, are they? And notice that the Lord doesn't back down. He doesn't soften them when He's opposed by the crowds. In fact, He doubles down on His statements. Verse 53, Amen, amen, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and then He adds, and drink His blood, you have no life in you. He makes it stronger. How are we supposed to take that? And what do these words mean for the Lord's Supper that we are about to partake in? Are we somehow in the supper physically eating the flesh of Jesus, physically drinking the blood of Jesus? Well, we hope to answer these questions as I bring you this word of the Lord, to receive eternal life, that's our theme, to receive eternal life, feed on Christ's flesh. We'll take a look at the why and the how of feeding on Christ's flesh. Well, we've already seen, beloved, that Jesus throughout this passage, this discussion has been using a metaphor to describe His mission. He laid it out very plainly in verse 35. He repeats it now in our text, verse 48, I am the bread of life. That's a metaphor. He's not a physical loaf of bread. Nobody ever thought that either. So he's using a figure of speech to show that he, as the Son of Man, as the Messiah, has life to give to the people. It's a comparison with physical bread. Just like physical bread sustains physical life, so Jesus sustains spiritual life. Actually, His power, it goes beyond the metaphor. Every metaphor breaks down because while physical bread keeps life going, Jesus actually has the power to start life, to give life, to make a person dead actually come alive spiritually and then keep that person alive forever. So Christ's power as the bread from heaven is far, far and away greater than the bread of the earth. He said this in verse 33, that He came to give life to the world. And that comes out again in our text, verse 53, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. You have no life in you. So apart from feasting on the flesh and blood of Jesus, you and I are dead. That's what Jesus says. Spiritually dead. So the Lord Jesus in our text gives a very graphic metaphor, perhaps an unsettling metaphor. But before we get to the how, let's try to understand the why. Why does he press this point? Why is the flesh of Christ tied together so intricately with the gift of eternal life? Like, what's the big deal about his flesh? He says it. Jesus repeats this a number of times in, just in our text. He says, you need to eat my flesh. 
Whoever feeds on my flesh has eternal life. My flesh is true food. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me. So, these are all his statements. What is it then about the flesh of Jesus that it can generate for dead sinners like us eternal life? What is it about the flesh? Well, brothers and sisters, that flesh of Jesus is very special. It's unique. The flesh of Jesus, inside the flesh of Jesus dwells the Word who, as John says in the opening of his gospel, the Word was with God and the Word was God. And then John highlights in chapter 1, verse 14, and the Word became flesh. Same word. And dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word dwells in the flesh, the unique flesh of Jesus. The Son of God took on true human, real flesh and blood from His mother Mary, who, of course, is descended from our first father, Adam. So, the Lord Jesus is clothed with our human flesh, our human nature, so that He might sacrifice that flesh in your place and in mine. That's what Jesus says in verse 51, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. He's speaking about the great purpose of His life of His incarnation. He has come, He has become incarnate in the flesh to lay down His flesh, His life, in sacrifice on the cross as substitute for sinners like you and me and all that the Father will eventually give to Him. What's special is that His flesh does something no other flesh can do. Look at the crowds hearing this talk, they could not yet know about the cross. But they understood that he was referring to his death. And that's why they took offense. To eat anybody's flesh and blood, even metaphorically, the person must die. And that's something the crowds could not accept. You might recall they were already offended that he claimed to come down from heaven. Who does this man think he is? We know his mom and dad. We know Joseph and Mary. And now he adds to that earlier claim, this bizarre claim, that he must die and somehow give his flesh and blood for everyone to eat, that is now doubly offensive to them. Remember, only a day before, just 24 hours earlier, this very same crowd, after Jesus had produced the bread and the fish, they wanted him to become king. They wanted to force him to be become king. They thought he was the prophet that Moses had spoken about that would come. They thought that Jesus was the great Messiah who would come. They thought Jesus was the great hero king who would come in, in David's line to bring them out of their current troubles. 
So with their idea of what the Messiah would do and who the Messiah was, this is abhorrent what Jesus says to them. The Messiah didn't come to die, but to conquer. The Messiah wouldn't come to sacrifice himself, but to rally his people to rise up and put the enemy to death. We don't need a metaphorical bread from heaven. We need a very literal commander of the armies of Israel, a commander from the line of David here on the earth. That's what we need, thought the crowds. But the Lord Jesus doesn't shy away, doesn't back down from His claim because He knows it's the very essence, it's the very heart of the gospel. It is what Jesus is doing and what Jesus will soon do in His human flesh that will generate and sustain everlasting life for His people. Earlier, Jesus had said to Nicodemus, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. It's a reference to the cross. Jesus is saying to the people all throughout the speech, and He does it kind of subtly. That was often His teaching. He's saying, I am the Messiah. I am your King. I have come to fight for you, my people, but my fight is not what you think it is. My fight is against sin. My fight is against Satan and not against the armies of Rome and the legions of armies. My fight is to resist every temptation to sin my whole life long while always loving my God and loving my neighbor as myself. That's my fight. My fight is to, while doing that, suffer the wrath of God for your sin without sinning myself. And I have to suffer the fullness of God's wrath to its utter extent, its last drop on the cursed tree of the cross. That's my fight. And now in this whole discussion about bread, we should note that it, it, this whole discussion takes place at a particular time. John 6, verse 4, the writer tells us, that the time was when Passover was drawing near. So that's a time when people were thinking about celebrating the Passover, which meant eating the unleavened bread and eating the lamb that was sacrificed. So in that context, Jesus presses His point. You need to feed on my flesh, my blood. It's me in my human nature. It's my flesh and blood and soul that will stand in your place obeying God's law for you, suffering for you, dying for you, and you need to be connected to me to benefit. Jesus is picking up what John the Baptist had said earlier of him in chapter 1, verse 29, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That was a reference to the Passover Lamb. And Jesus at the time of Passover is forcing the issue. He wants the people to connect the dots. In just a few days, they're going to slaughter the Passover lamb. He's saying to them, just like the Passover lamb stands in your place, you know that, just like the Passover lamb is sacrificed for you, 
And, and its flesh you will eat, whose blood is shed to give you life, so my blood will be shed to give you eternal life. In eternal life, in peace with God, my life, my flesh will be sacrificed for you. I am the Lamb of God standing in your place. You can't benefit from the offering of my flesh unless you eat my flesh, unless you drink my blood so that the power of my life, my glorious and eternal life, that that power can flow into your flesh. You've got to be connected to me. That's the why of it. It's 100% necessary that we eat the flesh and drink the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ in order to receive eternal life. But now comes the question, how? And that's difficult, right? I mean, Jesus just stresses it over and again. So it, it it's sounds cannibalistic at first. Well, whenever we have a difficult passage or a difficult saying, then the best thing we can do is compare Scripture with Scripture and use the more clear parts to shed lights on the parts that are harder to understand. And the Lord Jesus Himself helps us understand His own expressions here with the other expressions He uses in the same dialogue, the same discussion in chapter 6. Because earlier in the chapter, he uses other verbs and expressions to describe how it is that we go about eating the bread from heaven. And I wonder, brothers and sisters, if you would open your Bible with me for a moment, because I, I think it's helpful to see it for yourself. Chapter 6, verse 29. Let's start there. Verse 29. This is the work of God that you believe in Him whom He has sent. Note the verb believe. Then verse 35. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me, that's another verb, shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And then go to verse 40. There's another synonym in verse 40. Everyone who looks on the, son of, on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. So, very clearly, eating the flesh of Jesus and drinking His blood are done by way of believing in Him, coming to Him, looking upon Him. And that's helpful, right? Because we know what it is to believe in Christ. And so it's instantly clear that there's no sense here of physically eating Christ's flesh, but rather it's a spiritual eating. It's a taking into our hearts the flesh and blood of Christ by means of faith, by an act of trust, and in that way having all the benefits of Christ that He earned for us in His flesh how they then become ours. They become transferred to us. That faith connection, and we saw that a little bit last Sunday afternoon, that faith connection is what serves to transfer all the eternal life 
that Christ has purchased for us. So, eating is at least believing. And yet there's still more. Look with me at verse 56. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. You see that? Abides in. That's intimate. I don't think it could be more intimate. We abide in Christ. Christ abides in us. That describes a union and communion, doesn't it? The Lord Jesus will elaborate on this later in John 15 with that well-known image of the vine and the branches. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. This sense of abiding, this mutual abiding, is huge in John's gospel and in the teaching of Christ. The Apostle Paul later describes this union with a different expression. He says it is being in Christ. When you come to faith, you are in Christ. That's his favorite expression. Romans 8 verse 1, for example. There is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ. So, brothers and sisters, what we're learning in our text and elsewhere in Scripture is this. To believe in Jesus is not merely an intellectual act, though it certainly involves our minds. Nor is faith just something that involves our hearts, though that too. No, there's something deeper going on here to come to Jesus, to look upon Jesus. That's not just to approach Him and, and come in close proximity like you might approach a friend to have a conversation, though Jesus is certainly our friend with whom we converse. John 15 teaches that too. No, what Jesus is teaching here is that to truly believe in Him is to be drawn into a faith union with Christ. The mysterious joining of branch to vine, or to use another image, the mysterious union of, of body to head, where we are so bound to Christ Jesus body and soul, and He to us, body and soul, so that each of us is said to abide in the other. Each of us remains in the other. What our Savior is pointing to, brothers and sisters, is something we cannot fully explain. We need to admit that. This is a mystery, this abiding in, this mutual abiding in. It's something we can't explain adequately, but something we need to experience. Christ in me and you, and you in Christ. Faith in the Lord Jesus 
does not just bring about a legal transaction in the courtroom of God whereby we are declared right in God's eyes and granted everlasting peace. It certainly does that. Don't get me wrong. And that's important, incredibly important. We saw that last Sunday afternoon. But Scripture teaches that faith in Christ, it, it brings us more. It brings us into contact with our Savior. Spiritual contact, or better said, communion. Certainly, the Lord Jesus remains in heaven with His flesh and blood seated at the right hand of His Father, but His Holy Spirit, who lives in Him, His Holy Spirit bridges the gap between Him and us because the Spirit has been sent to us and the Spirit has this ability to be everywhere. So the Spirit of Christ lives in us and incomprehensibly joins our flesh on earth to Christ's flesh in heaven. There's this union taking place, this abiding in taking place. The Holy Spirit uses faith to create this, this, this connection, this holy and blessed and joyous relationship of union. And then the Spirit Himself uses faith to bring us the experience of this union so that forevermore you abide in Him and He abides in you. You and I, we, we are meant to feel that, live that, enjoy that every day again. This union and communion, abiding in fellowship with Christ, is something that is normally established by and, and continually strengthened through the preaching of the gospel and the use of the sacraments, those two regular means of grace that Christ has given His church to make use of. And then it's particularly in the Lord's Supper that this intimate union with Jesus is pictured and emphasized. Think of how Paul describes the sacrament in 1 Corinthians 10, the cup of blessing that we bless. Is it not, here it comes, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Union, communion. Jesus in John 6 was not specifically talking about the sacrament. Sacrament wasn't in view, but he's speaking definitely about his coming death. And Paul in, in, in Corinthians is saying that in the sacrament we look back upon the death of Christ. And in both cases, John 6, 1 Corinthians 10, what is emphasized is this participation, this union, this abiding in, sharing in, fellowshipping in, communing in. As believers, we never stay apart or aloof from our Savior, but He takes us into Himself and He gives Himself to us by means of His Spirit, causing us to enjoy this inexpressible spiritual bond, a holy union, a mutual abiding in 
that is far better experienced than explained. So this, brothers and sisters, is how you feed on Christ. This is how you eat and drink the flesh and blood of Christ. You focus your faith on the Lord Jesus crucified, resurrected, and now ascended into heaven, seated at the right hand of his Father. You meditate on his word and speak to him in prayer. You give your heart to him in full submission and receive from him his Holy Spirit who through his word brings you comfort. You feel that. Brings you assurance of your personal salvation. You experience that. He, he guides you. He strengthens you with everything you need, all the strength you need for daily living, spiritual and physical. He gives you peace. And he gives all of this to you, brothers and sisters, in a way that passes understanding. Who can understand the working of the Holy Spirit? Jesus said that in John 3 to Nicodemus. The wind blows where it wills. Who knows where it comes and whence it goes? Same with the Spirit. The Spirit does all these things. So you experience it. You experience it in the preaching and elsewhere, that all these things that derive from the preaching, personal Bible study, discussion of God's Word, and now we get to experience it also in the Lord's Supper. When you take in the bread, when you drink in the wine, those elements, they literally become one with your flesh. Then you are meant to know anew. You are meant to feel, you are meant to be amazed that by faith and through the connecting power of the Holy Spirit, you are one with Christ. You're taking Christ into you. The whole Christ, flesh and spirit. You abide in Him and He abides in you forever. That's, that's what this meal wants to communicate. So brothers and sisters, come and take and believe and be refreshed. Amen.